Welcome to Fifth and Mission. I'm Dominic Fracasa. Today on the show, different pandemics in different San Francisco neighborhoods. While the city has fared fairly well overall, not all parts of San Francisco have been equally fortunate. That's the upshot of a new chronicle analysis of coronavirus case rates broken down by San Francisco neighborhood. Data reporters Susie Nielsen and Nami Sumita crunch the numbers, and Susie joins us now. Hi, Susie. Hi, Dom. Thanks for having me. So, as we've known for a long time now, this pandemic has laid bare a lot of the economic and social disparities that predated the pandemic, but were really highlighted by them all across the country. How much of that national reality was brought to bear in San Francisco, Susie? You know, I think as a city, we've been really fortunate here in San Francisco overall. By the end of this pandemic, the city will probably have had the lowest death rate of any major city in the country. We've had very low case rates compared to other major cities. Um, That being said, I think when you zoom in to this data, you see that certain neighborhoods in San Francisco are faring extraordinarily well, and other neighborhoods are actually doing quite poorly. So For example, um, our analysis found that one part of Noe Valley had a case rate of 1.6%. So 1.6 out of every 100 people in that area had COVID, um, which is incredibly low. But we also found a census tract in the Bayview, which had nearly 18% of its residents test positive for COVID. And when you think about the fact that those numbers are probably a lot higher because not everybody tests positive, a lot of people have unconfirmed cases, that's actually a really high case rate. So if this census tract were its own city, it would be the city with the highest case rate in the U.S. So that's pretty remarkable considering the fact that San Francisco overall has such a low case rate. No, that is remarkable. And just in case for for any listeners who may not be aware, you know, the Bayview is a historically, you know, black neighborhood in San Francisco, getting us back to this issue of economic and racial and social disparities that we've that that we've seen, you know, brought to bear locally. And that's, of course, unfortunately played out nationally as well. So what else did, did the data tell you, Susie? So we've talked about the Bayview. What other neighborhoods in San Francisco um, have been hit particularly hard? I know that the response, for example, in the Mission District and the case rates against San Francisco's Latino residents has also been really troubling. Did uh, your uh, analysis bear this out as well? Yes, so it did. So also to add, um, you mentioned that the Bayview is a very historically black neighborhood in San Francisco, um, whereas the city overall, I think, is less than 6% black. Um, when we looked at these two different contrasting census tracts, uh, the census tract in Noe Valley is 67% white, less than 1% black, and 12% Hispanic. Um, that's the tract with a really low case rate. And then the Bayview census tract is 27% black and 44% Hispanic and only 10% white. So you kind of see that racial disparity on stark display between these two census tracts. Um, When it comes to the mission, I mean, so the mission is part of this section of San Francisco that the Department of Public Health is referring to as the Lower Southeast Quadrant. And that includes the Mission, it includes the Bayview, Hunters Point, it includes Excelsior District. It's the part of the city that's in the Lower Southeast area. And just generally, when you're looking at this map, you can see that the cases in San Francisco are very densely clustered in this region. The rest of the city is very, very light on cases. Basically, 
all over the city. The San Francisco Public Health Department uh, allocates 30% of the doses in the city overall. So the other um, the other two-thirds of doses go to pharmacies and insurers, but the Department of Public Health said that they're basically concentrate, concentrating all of their vaccination efforts on this lower southeast quadrant, which is why a lot of the vaccination sites set up by the Department of Public Health you see going to the lower southeast quadrant so that it improves access for these communities of color and lower income communities in San Francisco. Oh, that's a really that's a really important point to make. So what you're saying is you said it was 30% from the health department, that's how much they allocate? Yeah, about one third. Okay, about a third. And and so so the other two thirds are covered by, you know, what institutions like like Kaiser and Sutter, those are the other th- those are the other sort of dispensers of vaccines. And you mentioned the pharmacies as well. Yeah, so you know, you have your Kaiser, your Sutter, but also CVS and Walgreens and places like that. Okay. So I, I asked that just to kind of clarify as we get to this w- one final question for you, Susie. I mean, you and, and NAMI have put together this data in, in a really elegant way. But it, as, as you mentioned, as we've talked about it, it came from the health department, meaning that they, they you know, had must surely have had a sense of what was going on uh, around these disparities. So, you know, you mentioned a, a focus of of resources, particularly in the city's southeast quadrant. It's a huge part of the city. The neighborhoods you mentioned constitute a really large part of San Francisco. Uh, you know, can you talk a little bit more about, you know, what the uh, what public health officials have done to, to confront this? It, does it seem to you, given your reporting, that they've, you know, used all the proverbial tools at their disposal to confront these disparities? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it's one that we'll continue to grapple with over the next couple of months as the picture of the overall long-term case and death rates becomes clearer. You know, with vaccinations, I think the Department of Public Health has tried to even out the disparities because if the public health department didn't have access to vaccines, you'd see this enormous disparity because people who are underinsured or uninsured wouldn't get access at all. Um, I do think, you know, there still are clearly if I mean, if the if San Francisco were to distribute its vaccines according to need, you would see far greater percentages of vaccines being allocated to these lower southeast quadrant communities because they tend to have much higher case rates. My guess is and I'm pretty sure this is true, that there are a lot of essential workers in those areas. And so I think if the if the government um, were able to do to really address the inequities, you'd see a lot more doses going to those neighborhoods. Um, According to our analysis and what we've seen so far in vaccination rates, these neighborhoods aren't necessarily falling behind compared to other neighborhoods, but they're not pulling ahead the way you'd probably want them to be, just given that there are so many people there who are getting COVID. So that's one thing. Um, I think one neighborhood that had been falling behind earlier was Chinatown. Um, The neighborhood just has a lot of elderly residents and essential workers and had, you know, not was not getting vaccinated um, at a high, a high rate compared to its share of high priority people. Um, I actually looked at the data today and it looks like Chinatown has pulled ahead a lot. And I think that's due to the efforts of the department partnering with uh, local community-based organizations. That's something that the Department of Public Health has been trying to do more, kind of integrate themselves in with people who have been working in those communities from day one 
and know how to, for example, speak Chinese and speak with the local residents um, and combat vaccine hesitancy in certain communities. So I think that's happening. Um, but again, I think if they were to be doing, it, the, probably the best thing would be to see these neighborhoods in the lower Southeast quadrant and then neighborhoods like Chinatown that have lower rates. Um, you'd want to see them pulling ahead of these kind of wealthier and whiter neighborhoods um, in the in the city. Susie Nielsen, Chronicle Data Reporter, thanks so much for your time and uh, thanks so much for your work around this. To you and Nami. Thank you so much. We'll take a quick break and come right back to talk with Chronicle staff writer Trisha Tadani about the state of vaccination efforts in some of San Francisco's hardest hit communities. Stay with us. We'll be right back after a short break. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited Chronicle access at sfchronicle.com slash pod. We're back with Chronicle staff writer Trisha Tadani, who recently spent some time checking in on San Francisco's efforts to vaccinate people in neighborhoods that have been pummeled by the pandemic. Hi, Trisha. Hello. Uh, So San Francisco health officials said early on that they were going to make a concerted push to vaccinate vulnerable communities. So my, my first and very basic question to you is, have they fulfilled that pledge? How are things going out there? Yeah. So looking at the data and, you know, talking to people on the ground, it seems like San Francisco is actually headed in a pretty good direction. Um, At this point, um, and according to an analysis we did of city data, um, the neighborhoods that have been hardest hit um, by COVID cases. So, you know, you have the Mission, the Bayview, the Excelsior. Um, their vaccination rates are either on par with the city average or in some cases even a little bit above it. Oh, that's fantastic news. Can can you talk a little bit about the roles that on the ground neighborhood and community groups have played in helping to, to actually reach people to either get them signed up for a vaccination or actually get them a shot? Yeah, so that role cannot be overstated um, in San Francisco and through vaccination efforts widely throughout the country. Um, so I actually went on one of my most exciting uh, assignments this weekend when I got to shadow the Latino task force um, as they went throughout the mission um, and tried signing people up for vaccines. So this task force has like really been on the front lines of helping out the mission, which has been particularly hard hit um, by the virus. So this this weekend, um, they had a bunch of vaccine appointments for this week when eligibility expands. So they basically went out into the middle of the mission and were just stopping people, everyone who passed them on the street and were like, have you been vaccinated? Have you been vaccinated? Like, do you need an appointment? And by and large, the majority of people that they stopped said that they already had it or they had an appointment coming up. Um, And that was like a really exciting um, look and like a small window into how many people actually have gotten it so far. You know, you see the numbers that San Francisco has vaccinated nearly half of its or a little bit more than half of its population. But to actually see that bear out um, in a neighborhood that has really bore the brunt of this virus over the last year was really exciting. So, As California opens up vaccine eligibility to everyone over 16, vaccines are are a finite resource right now. The the Biden administration is bullish about, you know, their ability to, you know, get shots in arms and meet the aggressive targets that they've set. 
uh, in the first hundred days of the administration. But thinking about you know San Francisco in particular, and perhaps the wider Bay Area, Tricia, and thinking about these vulnerable communities in particular, what are some of the lingering concerns that you know health experts or some of these community groups might have as as we're about to see this this presumed you know rush uh, you know millions of people across the state suddenly becoming eligible for a vaccine and and presumably wanting to get right to it you know getting signed up and and getting shots in arms yeah yeah so the reason these these community groups um are particularly important is because they can they can sort of look out and be the ambassadors for these communities that might not have as much, you know, access or be as tech savvy to figure out how to get an appointment or, you know, can have, um, you know, have hours to spare to stand in line to try and get uh, to try and get a vaccine at some pop up clinic. Um, These people are, you know, like the Latino task force are going out into the community and bringing the appointments to them um, to sort of combat these concerns that as more people are eligible, um, you know, people who can't you know, can't really advocate for themselves will get crowded out um, and won't be able to get an appointment. So one that's obviously one of the concerns. And then um, one of the biggest concerns is, you know, moving forward once San Francisco is able to give or at least offer a vaccine to everyone who wants it, who's left and who is refusing to get a vaccine. Um, you know, right now, uh, you know, talking to people on the ground, particularly in the mission, um, they really haven't encountered that, that they haven't encountered this quote, like vaccine hesitancy as much as, as they might have been expecting before. Um, but, you know, that that's just something that is going to become um, clearer as more people are able to get to get vaccinated. Chronicle staff writer Trisha Tadani, thank you so much for your uh, reporting on this. And thanks for spending time with us today. Thank you for having me. Our thanks again to Susie Nielsen and Trisha Tadani for talking with us today, to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and of course, thank you for listening. I'm Dominic Fracasa. Catch you next time on Fifth Admission. Mission.